You are listening to Behind the Pulpit Podcast, Episode 12, Interview with Pastor Dallas Brock. Welcome to Behind the Pulpit Podcast. From sunny San Diego, this is Tim Lucas. And from way down in Granbury, Texas, our evangelist extraordinaire, Nigel Lee. Oh wait, he's not with us today. He's tired from preaching, so he's skipping the episode. But that's okay. Um, from way out in Portland, Oregon, the home of all things hipster, Ryan Goff. That's me, man. Future Tim here. So we had some technical difficulties that caused a delay in the release of the episode. It also caused us to lose some of the introductory remarks and first question. But I still think you get to know who Brother Brock is a little bit through the entire interview. It just doesn't come front-loaded. And there's a few places that I wasn't able to edit out the bad quality. So forgive us for that. It's just us learning. I'm hoping this doesn't happen again and we don't have any more delays in release. With that being said, Ryan, get us into the interview. When you went to Gateway, did you go knowing that you wanted to pastor or be uh, involved in ministry that deeply? Or did you find that direction while you were there at Gateway? So a uh, quick backstory. Um, basically, my dad was praying for me. Uh, I was not in church uh, from the time I was 10 to about the time I was 18. My parents had separated and eventually divorced when I was 10 and lived with my mom, and um, she didn't go into church. And my dad continued and kept praying for me, and the Lord started dealing with me about um, serving him again. And basically sports was my idol at that time, and everything revolved around sports uh, 24 hours a day. And uh, I was planning to go play college at uh, football at a small school here, not too far, pretty local. I didn't really get a bunch of scholarships or anything, but just a few offers at smaller schools. And uh, the Lord started dealing with me. One time in particular, I remember it was interesting. I was watching football, and I started having a vision of preaching. And that wasn't anything that I would come up with on my own. <laughs> I was, that was the farthest thing from my mind. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't praying. I wasn't going to church, nothing. So I just the Lord started drawing me and uh, eventually gave me very clear direction to go to Bible school. Um, try to keep the story short, but um, I went to Bible school and uh, it did a great job of kind of setting me apart from all those outside influences that may distract me, may pull me back into old habits or old lifestyles. So for me, it really was a safe haven and a place where I was set apart. And uh, I know for some people it's a little bit of a glorified youth camp. Um, but for those who go for the right reasons, it's it's a phenomenal opportunity to be, to be set apart to the things of God and the Word of God. Um, and I really planned on going uh, to graduate, and the Lord dealt with me about staying home after one year. didn't make sense at the time. A few months later, my dad developed uh, stage four cancer, and I was able to take care of him, then it all made sense. But that was uh, my experience at Bible school, uh, just to be set apart, to have a, a clean cut from all that stuff that was uh, entangling me and keeping me from the calling of God on my life. I had an idea from the time I was when I was at Bible school, I started feeling that that distinct calling to pastoring versus some other pulpit ministry. 
And uh, so I, I did receive that call there. I knew I was called to preach uh, when I first received the, the Holy Ghost when I was nine. And I struggled that God still wanted me to preach when I came back when I was 18. But he did make it clear he had that calling and it would be pastoring someday. That's great. Uh, thanks for sharing. And, you know, I, if you don't mind, I know uh, for me, the testimony of uh, what you went through with your father as far as the faith that it, that instilled in you from that experience uh, is quite a testimony. I don't, And if you don't mind, would you mind sharing that? I know I didn't. Yeah, no, that not at all. One of the biggest things about my dad's cancer was that uh, we believed God could absolutely heal him. And uh, we believed to the very last breath that God could and would heal him. And uh, there was even some some people who prophesied that he would be healed. And so that was our expectation. But uh, in the last hours of his life, he was in hospice care at home. Uh, there was He was actually, in the last few hours of that type of a disease, your brain is basically poisoned. And he could no longer really communicate. He would just mumble a little bit here and there. But there was a moment where he became very aware, and he told me, it's just me and Jesus now. And um, he actually prayed in tongues for a moment. And uh, you could really feel the power of God in that moment. And then he just kind of went back into a place where he was incoherent. So for me, that was a strong testimony. Um, Number one, to um, where he was at. I already knew he was at a good place with God, but God gave me that extra assurance. And number two, that tongues are real. (laughs) Because... uh, He was not in a place to fake anything. <laughs> he couldn't even uh, coherently talk. So um, praying in the spirit, praying in tongues, I know we we believe in it, but those extra confirmations are always great. And, you know, so he ended up uh, passing away in the night a few hours later. You know, I believe so strongly that God could heal him still. I, My friend and I actually packed his suitcase with uh, some dress shoes and a suit in case God will raise him up at the funeral. So we packed this suitcase and we brought it and uh, just thinking, hey, maybe God's going to raise him up. You know, we didn't we didn't understand it all. But a couple days later, uh, after God hadn't raised him up and things progressed, I just, one day I was just asking the Lord, I said, well, what about those prophecies about healing? And, uh, you know, we believe for healing, all these things. I didn't hear an audible voice, but a very clear impression from God was simply he said I did heal him he received the ultimate healing which is mm-hmm. which is in heaven you know he's not going to have to worry about anything ever again and uh, the scriptures came to mind that in that moment that we see through a glass darkly yeah. now we know in part you know then we'll know the fullness of things at the end of first Corinthians 13 so uh, we had an understanding of what healing was going to be but uh, God had a a more complete understanding of a better healing that my father would receive. So I think in our pursuit of of divine healing in this life, yes, we should pray with faith. And uh, the Lord's been dealing with us. Ryan can attest to this, but at our church, trying to bring us to another level where we're praying with more faith, we're taking more dominion. There's also the side of it that God knows better than we could ever know. And sometimes, for whatever reason, he chooses to allow the sickness to remain and even to bring us to a point of death, because 
we're all going to die of something unless the Lord returns. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's only two other people who haven't died of something <laughs> in the Bible. Yeah. So that's true. Uh, anyways, maybe a long answer, but that's kind of the summary. No, I, I appreciate that. I, uh, you know, cause healing and especially now, I mean, Dallas, you know, I mean, we've been dealing with some issues as far as with skewed views on things. It's, that's a tough question to answer because we believe in divine healing and that that's what Jesus bore the stripes for was so that we could be healed. But the reality is, is that some people who are have great faith just don't get healed. Right. And, uh, you know, I think the one thing that I really liked about your testimony, though, was the fact that God and his divine and ultimate love for each and every one of us knew what you needed at that time. Yeah. Especially when you've had, you said people prophesied that yeah. he was going to be healed. Uh, I mean, right. that's always tough. You know, I don't know, uh, which, you know, obviously makes you question their prophecy, uh, prophesizing ability. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, Low into the pathetic instead of the prophetic. <laughs> yeah. One guy told my dad, came up to my dad, very well-known um, healer and laid his hand on his heart all dramatically said your heart has problems you didn't even know about it but god just fixed them so you'll never know about it I'm like well that's easy to say i can do that too i'm not saying it's not real maybe it was and i'm so grateful if it was real i'm glad my dad's heart was taken care of you know but you just gotta take his word for it yeah yeah <laughs> so you went to school for a year you took the time off, and, and God, in his mercy, gave you that extra time with your dad. So then how did you get from there to where you are now pastoring? What was the path? Yeah, after uh, my dad passed away, I felt the direction was to go and assist another pastor that wasn't far from where I lived, who I knew. So I went over there and worked out of his church for about six years, which uh, the best thing about that was I met my wife there. So that was good. Shout so out to Roxy. If, if that's the only thing I got out of those six years, it was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey, it's better, hey, it's better than, than uh, Jacob. It took him seven years of work. So, so. I'm 14, I'm 14 yeah, really, to get the one he wanted. Yeah, because then he had yeah. an extra seven. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I had, I had uh, seven save one years. From there, the Lord actually led us um, to assist a pastor in uh, a few miles away in North Portland. Um, who was getting advanced in age, and he was my dad's pastor, and so we went over there and and uh, helped him for three years. And the Lord started dealing with me pretty strongly about stepping out and pastoring. And his uh, son-in-law and daughter came to help him, and it was a perfect time for us to just transition out. And we've been doing that for about four years now. Um, of course, I sought counsel with uh, district officials and and uh, elders in my life, and, and there was an agreement that that would be a good thing to do. And uh, really, I was uh, not even aware that church planning or North American missions was something that was uh, a program or a process, to be honest. I was pretty naive about it. Basically, I talked to our North American missions director at the suggestion of our, of our uh, district superintendent, and uh, he told me about church planning, North American missions. Essentially, it was a process of elimination 
I knew I was called to pastor. I was going to pastor in the Midwest was my idea. God said, no, you stay in Portland. So I looked around. There's no churches that are available. I'm supposed to pastor. No churches available. Start one. So uh, that's how it started. <laughs> yeah. Now, church planning is, is quite the challenge. I haven't actually been, well, as a very young child, my dad started a church. But other than that, I've never actually been a part of one. Um, so what are some of the extra challenges you face? I know one of the ones we had mentioned we would ask you about was how you dealt with not having musicians. And so maybe you can touch on that. But then also other challenges that maybe someone who's never been a part of that kind of ministry w- wouldn't consider. So yeah, first the music side of it. Um, for the first two years, uh, we didn't have any musicians. Uh, for the first couple, about three months, four months, we were in our living room and then the Lord directed us to uh, come into a renting situation uh, where we uh, had a couple families join us. And at that point, we joined the families. We were teaching Bible study with a couple of families that were renting that church. And uh, we actually had about 30 people that were part of the church at that point. So in the first four months, because of special circumstances, we ended up with about 30 people, but nobody played any instruments. And the, the, the platform was so small, you couldn't fit any anyways where we were. It was about a three-by-eight platform. That's feet. <laughs> so a uh, total of about 24, 24 square feet of platform space. So you're not going to fit too many, you know, drum cage. Forget about it. Anyways, we had no, no musicians. And so we used a program called Spotify, which is uh, just a music share program. But uh, you can pay $10 a month and save playlists and save songs offline, uh, stuff like that. So essentially, I would create playlists before church, and I would create a PowerPoint with the lyrics, and I would just sing along uh, with the music. So most of it wasn't even just the music tracks. It was actually the the live worship album. And so um, we'd have like Chris Tomlin and you know special guest singers all the time at our church. You know, people got to hear the latest and greatest at uh, Living Waters Fellowship. So, uh, but there was people that got the Holy Ghost during that worship. There was, uh, you know, times where God blessed in phenomenal ways. So I know some people, you get them a little more sophisticated and they use just the music tracks. There's programs out there where you can purchase tracks and they just sing with the music. But I didn't have any problem sharing the stage with Clint Brown and Chris Tomlin, guys like that. So As long as Hillsong wasn't there. <laughs> Or it was before they went secular. Before they went crazy. Or liberal, whatever you want to call it. I prayed over them very strongly. <laughs> <laughs> they were under the apostolic covering while they were in our service. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I remember some very deep moves of God where we were in a... I don't remember where. Oh, as part of this... Um, it was a military group that would get together, and it was like non-denominational, all Protestants would get together, and it's kind of a Bible study. But our worship was watching. Would, somebody would just skip ahead of a, a um, worship concert DVD, and it's just like, God's power would be there so strong. It was like, I can't argue with it, you know? Absolutely. It's more about the individual worshiping than it is whoever's singing. So yeah. Yeah, I would rather have a track. Receive out of it, right? I would rather have a track than a bunch of musicians who won't worship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, what are some of the other um, challenges that maybe 
as someone like me wouldn't think of in starting a church? Well, uh, definitely a huge part of it is is spiritual warfare, and Apostolic Conference really helped equip us to understand that side of it, because you can obviously think about it in terms of uh, church church uh, growth seminars, books, strategies, and kind of approach it like a business. Mm-hmm. And a lot of a lot of churches do, and they they come into an area and they just saturate it with marketing, and they figure out you know what the families in the area desire in a church, and just all these logistical things. And I'm not against any of that. Um, right. If we had the money to do more of that, we would. Um, but the simple fact is that spiritual warfare, when you're planting and growing an apostolic church, where people are born again of water and spirit, it's going to take supernatural authority and their strongholds are going to have to come down, especially if you're in an area that's spiritually cold or has been untapped in, you know, the ground is not fertile, hasn't been plowed very much. Um, You're going to have to face a lot of resistance and just be resilient and uh, keep declaring it. One thing Chester Wright said this week that stuck out is a lot of times our prayers are killing something at the roots When Jesus cursed the fig tree, it didn't immediately dry up. But the next day they came by and it was dried up at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, But he said the moment he cursed it, it was dead. But it was at the roots and it wasn't visible. And so um, sometimes in our prayers for um, people to be saved in our cities and stuff, we're we're only seeing the roots for a while. And and we can't see see that, obviously. So it's attacking the roots and, and not... Not affecting what we can see, so so that's that's important is uh, persistence in spiritual warfare, and then secondly, just patience with people under development. Um, Brother Frank Bounds, Brother Scott Sistrunk, Brother uh, Hargrove from uh, Texas. There's different ones who I've heard, and they have a pretty consistent time frame of of at least two to to ten years to disciple someone, and two to three years is if they're very solid evangelical Christian with no apostolic background, and they just need to come to revelation understanding. But if they're just the average person, they're going to take about 10 years to become a solid disciple. So it just helps keep that in perspective with people because our church is four years old. How can I expect newer people in our church to be very mature? It would be unrealistic. So um, I hold everyone to a different standard depending on how long they've been with us. But patience is the key. You know, um, we have to be patient with people. The key to pastoring, right? Yes. So when you went into, uh, when you launched and uh, started having church in your living room, and then through these last few years, you've been uh, bivocational. And how have you been able to handle the church work, family, life, balance, um, being in that role? Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely haven't always done it perfectly, that's for sure. It's a learning process, but uh, I've been very vigilant and aware of of demands on ministry and family uh, because that was one of the things that contributed to the separation of my parents was the church dad was in at the time, the pastor was always wanting them to do projects at the church and my dad worked a full-time job, and he was he was constantly at the church, and 
So that was a, a strain that obviously not the only factor, but that was a strain <coughs> in the relationship. So I'm always very careful and mindful of that. And uh, so I, I talk to Roxy a lot, my wife. I ask her how she's feeling, how how it's going. You know, be try to be mindful of her. And then obviously my daughters, I don't want to leave them behind. So one thing we do very intentionally is is Monday nights are very protected. Obviously, this is later tonight, so it's okay. But <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, I was gonna say sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're you're beyond the the window. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. The girls are being put to bed already and stuff. But uh, we spent the day this afternoon at the park and had a good time with the girls. And we just make sure every Monday we're doing something family oriented, and most of the time with just our family. Um, sometimes we'll involve other people, but if we do, they're not like high stress people. And I say that as kind as I can, but <laughs> not high needs people. They're people that we can, right. you know, focus on the kids, and they're not going to be stealing the show. So <laughs> that's why Ryan hasn't been invited. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we haven't had Ryan over on Monday night. <laughs> we'll talk about that later, probably. But for the listeners, uh, what are the names of your? So you have two daughters, and uh, yes. what are their names? We have uh, Charity, who is seven, and Hope. Uh, two. So, uh, Charity, half of her life, a little over half has been in church team, and then Hope, all of it. So, Hope doesn't know anything different. I'm sure you frequently get the question of when are you going to have faith? Yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> and uh, you have to talk to my wife about that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be interviewing her for the next time. is willing, but the wife is not. So. <laughs> At least Wait, are you saying point. that your wife is flesh? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I, I went, that is I not a, that is not a correlation description. Yeah, like, honey, you're being faithless. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say that the wife is weak. Uh, no, oh, <laughs> no, you don't say that. To be, I have to be transparent in those words did enter my mind, but I caught myself. <laughs> Another good pastoring thing is to catch yourself. Yeah, I need a filter, a better filter. Um, along that line, so protecting family time is very important. We also recently talked about the importance of protecting the, um, I guess, moral integrity as a pastor. It seems like there's such an attack on that more now than ever, and it's always been strong. What are some of the things that maybe have been effective for you in protecting your um, you know, flesh and, and morality as a, a pastor? Yeah, that's a great question, and uh, accountability is always a great thing, and I, this is one area I appreciate Ryan a lot. Uh, he brought to my attention some accountability software that I've signed up for, and I'm going to make him an accountability partner. He has me as an accountability partner already, so I think that's uh, obviously software for your uh, smartphone, your computer, stuff like that is is huge in the day we live in. Sharing with with your your friends, uh, your brothers in the Lord, if you need extra prayer in those areas, I know I, you know sometimes in a in an atmosphere where where holiness is is rightfully so at the forefront, people are afraid to share weaknesses or failures, and and we have to do a, a good job as a a body to to allow each other to be open about uh, their our struggles because uh, if we can stop it while it's a struggle internally, then it will never manifest itself outwardly. 
So, and I think that's why Jesus was so adamant about if you've even thought of, uh, even lusted in your mind for someone, you've committed adultery because uh, if you repent of it as adultery when it's a thought, obviously the consequences are far different than if you let it manifest itself all the way into a full-blown act of adultery. So um, being able to have brethren, like I have the privilege of having with Brian, to be real and to um, discuss our struggles um, is a very valuable thing. So, Yeah, that's not always easy. Yeah, definitely having the the that sounding board, that that uh, accountability person that you can really trust and just be be open with, and not not worry about them judging you. I think is we talked about it a while in our last episode. It's huge. I mean, it's yeah, because <clears throat> when, when things things build in secret, right? I mean, it right. it starts out as something, but if we just if we keep it hidden. That's that is like Satan's playground, man. He right. He just feeds on that, and that grows and grows, and then next thing you know, their ministries have fallen apart, and they've they're either on some nasty website or they're hooking up with their secretary or something. I don't know. Yeah. Now this isn't on our list either, but what are some of the things you do to continue to develop yourself as a minister? Maybe something like reading. Are there certain books, certain authors? that have been effective in helping you develop? Or are there certain preachers you listen to or model yourself after? Yeah, I think the best author is David K. Bernard. I mean, as far as apostolic doctrine, that does, you don't get any better. Uh, right. And he has like 572 books. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, take your pick. Right. Um, I, lo- I sincerely love his, his books, his writing. He has a way of making everything so plain yet it, it's so deep, you know, so uh, David Bernard's my favorite author. Um, an author I've come across recently that's uh, really good as uh, Eugene Wilson. Again, he's part of our fellowship, and he has a book called Realign, and that book is all about becoming an equipping leader, um, and he dispels the the two styles of, of the charismatic leader, and, and not charismatic as far as what we label charismatic doctrine, but like a person with charisma and trying to lead on their charisma. And then uh, also he dispels the authoritarian leadership style where you have to be over everything and lording over it basically and says rather we should be equipping the saints. And so that book has been phenomenal in shaping my, my understanding of developing people and my role as a pastor and, and, uh, church develops so it can edify itself and it can grow organically. So Eugene Wilson, a great author, and then I'm just starting the second book called uh, 70, which is about building teams. And then he also mentioned he's going to be putting out another book, I think, about building people, not buildings or something like that. Those are two favorite authors right now that I recommend, David Bernard and uh, Eugene Wilson, uh, both apostolic authors that uh, – that I really enjoy. So, of course, there's other books I read too, but those are those are my two favorite at the moment. Well, if you're going for your license, you're required to read at least half of David K. Bernard's books. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got to learn to love it. I was gonna, I was going to tell you, Dallas. I was going to tell you. I don't think he's listening to this podcast, so you don't have to like be super formal. Don't worry. <laughs> 
I do have it written somewhere that the ultimate goal of this show is to have Brother Bernard as a interviewee. So someday, just play this uh, clip for him. Then yes. Maybe so when, when you're retired. having lunch with him next week, give us a mention. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> I'll, he'll be part of Podcast Thirty One. There. All right. You We're heard almost... it first here. Prophecy has been spoken. I'm gonna start sending emails. I'm gonna start blowing up upci.com. <laughs> I think that's gonna, that, that should just be our Twitter feed for the next uh, month. I don't know if the listeners are noticing as much as I am, but um, Ryan seems a little bit more uh, goofy when he's around his pastor. I don't know why that is. <laughs> Playful. <laughs> yeah. No, ministry should be fun. Ministry should be fun. We have a lot of fun. Yeah. Our church is uh, very corny, I guess you could say. <laughs> we have a lot of uh, corny humor going on all the time, and uh, we just believe you should experience all emotions of life. You know, cry together, laugh together, rejoice together, repent together. So, so we try to have a healthy balance. There wasn't too much goofing going on during the message Sunday. I tried to sneak a couple in there, but it was serious. But yeah, it was. But there's been other times where we just shared funny videos in church and, and laughed about it together. So, Well, the one thing that I was going to ask was, if you can boil the last four years down, uh, and I know that's hard to do, um, but what would you say was the most difficult thing that you've come across as, uh, as a North American Missions church planner? Mm, that's a tough question. I think it's probably the same as any pastor, and it's just when people you really feel like there's a, a call of God, there's a plan of God for their life, which he has for everyone, but you get attached to certain people and you think they're going to develop into what your mindset is, and then they decide there's something else better and, and they fall away, and uh, or they go into a believing a, a another doctrine or something like that. So I think that's been the hardest is when people you love and you care for, you've invested in and uh, you want to see them succeed in the kingdom. And then they, they go a different route. Uh, I don't know if there's any way for that not to hurt except becoming hard, which you can't do as a, as a pastor. So that's, that's gotta be the hardest thing I would say. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of tough things. I'm sure Uh, that's why we definitely have to be called especially with pastoring uh, or to ministry in general. And it's it's a, a well-known fact that being a pastor is stressful, but more and more studies are coming out that being a pastor's wife is as stressful, if not a little, little bit more uh, stressful. And I was just kind of wondering if there were, because, uh, you know, we love, uh, we love you and, and Roxy um, and my wife, appreciates uh, that friendship and uh, the camaraderie that, that she feels uh, with Roxy. But I was thinking, when I was thinking about these questions, I was just kind of wondering what, how you've, as far as what you've set up, as far as personally between you and Roxy. Uh, I know you talked about having the Monday night um, things, but I just didn't know if there was uh, anything specifically that you had set up to safeguard your relationship with, uh, with her. Yeah, I think it's just important to obviously pray together. Uh, well-known cliche, 
they that pray together stay together, to be praying together often, to be sharing intimate, you know, hopes, dreams, desires, uh, stuff like that. And then as well as struggles, hurts, pains, all those things, just being completely transparent, open with each other, being honest with each other. I think it is hard on on the wives a lot of times because especially in, in something like this, God calls people who have a certain ability to kind of just push past opposition and, and be very focused and driven. It's, it's a little bit different for our wives, the way they're made up. My wife is amazingly supportive and prayer warrior, uh, loves people. So everything she does is phenomenal. Uh, but I do have to stop sometimes and consider, am I, Am I driving us too hard? Uh, am, I, am I pushing us too hard? Because there, there is a balance needed where, yes, we need to give everything we have to the kingdom, but our first responsibility really is our home. And, uh, again, I'm more aware of that because of the divorce that I, I was a, a part of as a child with my parents. So it's almost right. counterintuitive sometimes, but you have to say, I need to draw a line right here and just take some time out for my family. Or if my wife's really struggling with this person at the church, whether it makes them mad or not, she's who I'm going to side with. Even if that means someone's going to leave the church, it's more important for me to keep my wife and lose someone from the church. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the other way around. So I feel like it's a lot easier said than done when in the moment. Yes. Um, and that's why, like you said, having that open line of communication is so vital because I'm sure that you could say that you, I mean, even Roxy said, you know, it's like you're constantly getting text messages and people calling you and, and just having to deal with these things. And then, you know, to consciously take time to not just ignore what is going on at the home or what problems that, you know, Roxy may be having uh, or that you're, you know, spending time with your kids because you're just so emotionally drained by the time you get home or uh, spend time with them, you know, and then being aware of the fact that I could be driving my family uh, too hard because when you're in the motions and you're getting everything going, I, I just I feel like it can be easy to overlook that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I think beyond, um, obviously, like I said, our wives are paramount importance. But if we have children, too, one thing I have to acknowledge is if there's behavior problems, sometimes it's simply them developing the ability to, to behave well. And it's our job as a parent to teach them that. But sometimes their behavioral problems are because I'm not investing enough time in them and they're, they're wanting attention. So uh, I have to have to be honest about that, and I have to survey that um, with, a, with an objective approach. And then also, you know, just like you were saying earlier, turning the mind off and listening, actually listening to what my wife has to say or my daughters, there has to be a balance in it. So like you said, easier said than done. No, I think that's really good, though, because especially, you know, a lot of and hopefully our future listeners and those who are listening now, um, you know, this is being involved with ministry and being in a relationship. This is what we're going to have to 
deal with um, because it will kill the relationship. Um, it definitely is something that could be done. I think keeping a long-term view is important because no matter what you do in the kingdom, it's not going to be built overnight. So if you if you uh, neglect your family in an effort to make stuff happen quickly, you're going to sorely regret it because it's not going to happen quickly anyways. And God won't bless something because really, again, we're spirit-filled believers. We're, we're, God builds his church on people who have his favor. So if we want his favor, we got to take care of our family because he doesn't even hear our prayers if we're not treating our wives right. Right. That's the truth. That's the hard truth because there are a lot of, um, well, I hope, hopefully there aren't a lot, but I'm sure there are pastors out there who are not treating their families right, unfortunately. And yeah, that's why it's so be. hard for pastors' kids to, that's, well, that's why so many of them leave not just ministry, but church in general. Like I said, are you really building a church or are you just gathering people, you know? So. If God's blessing, you know, uh, like the church uh, Tim is a part of, Brother Hodges, he's a man who pours into his family, and as a result, you see what kind of blessing he has. Brother Anthony Mangan has a very intentional approach to spending time with his family every week. I heard someone say he analyzes his week on Thursday, and if he hasn't spent enough time with his family, the rest of the week is, is focused on family more than anything else. Wow. So he makes sure every week he's intentional, and their church has uh, more people than the rest of our churches. So <laughs> uh, if he can be intentional about family Sorry. and still pastor that many people, then uh, I think I can I can take care of my family and, and still build the church. We've heard a lot of found out a lot about you. You've really uh, opened up, and we appreciate that and shared some some great things. And this is kind of what the goal of doing this podcast. I mean, it wasn't the only thing, but it was one of the more exciting things that we were looking forward to was getting to know, uh, getting to hear what other men of God have to say. And, uh, we appreciate the stuff that you shared and just wanted to give you an opportunity to share anything else before, uh, we close up this episode. Yeah. I don't really have anything specific right now to share just, uh, that I really enjoyed on here with you guys. Wish Nigel could have been with us this time, but I know he has some other demands. I think it's great what you're doing to have a passion for young ministers. So I, I just thank you for being on here, the opportunity to, to talk with you guys. So, Well, thank you for taking your time. We know bivocational church planners do not have an abundance of spare time, so we greatly appreciate it. No, but I, I, I've enjoyed uh, being with Pastor Dallas and uh, just seeing the, the intricate details that go into and the behind the scenes stuff of uh, church planting. It's really definitely helped my ministry and uh, we look forward to launching at some point ourselves. And, and uh, you know, that's one thing about uh, Dallas that I will say before this episode closes is that uh, he, the one thing that I love is that he is so open to, getting as many ministers into that area as possible. Like, you know, there's no, this is my area and that's your area. And no, we, he looks at Beaverton and says, okay, there's 300 some thousand people here. 
uh, I think we need more churches, even if it is five blocks down the road. Um, and and he's been supportive in our uh, desire to to launch at some point as well. And and as uh, you know, and I think that's kind of the mindset that that the movement is taking as far as realizing, you know, what? Yeah, this is our city, but if you feel called to come preach in this city as well, please. There are plenty of people to go around. Um, yes. And uh, I think that's that's huge for people who want to come in and try to try to plant churches. Well, that's certainly how kingdom-minded people think. There's no room for possessiveness when you're working for God and not for your own kingdom. It's just that plain and simple. But well, thank you very much. We appreciate it so much. I'm sure this will be one of the favorite episodes of the listeners. Um, but we appreciate it. Hopefully we can do it again before too long. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you. If you want to see the show notes, you can find them at behindthepulpitpodcast.com slash 12. As always, you can contact us at contact at behindthepulpitpodcast.com. We would love to see you on Facebook. You can reach us at facebook.com slash behindthepulpitpodcast. Comment, post on our wall, message us, and we'll get back to you. Let us know who you are, what you're doing in ministry, and what your future goals are. And until next time, remember, you matter in the kingdom of God. Behind the Pulpit Podcast.